Before we start this uh, series, uh, again, I want to just challenge you to take advantage of this weekend. Uh, it's just us guys here, just to uh, take the time, that your free time, just to search your heart for God and to you know examine yourself. And like I said, we all have things we deal with privately that uh, can be dealt with uh, before we leave here. Um, but the theme verse for this weekend is, uh, well, how many know that God has a favorite beverage? He has a favorite beverage. It says Hebrews. Hebrews 10.39. So if you're taking notes, you want to circle this verse. This is a powerful verse, and uh, it goes like this. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So, as we approach this uh, topic of integrity, uh, today's lesson we're going to learn to uh, go back to our childhood a little bit, because we were all born with the ability to imagine. And uh, this is what helps us become who we are as men, as fathers, as uh, husbands, and everything else. Um, you watch little boys when they're playing, they all are great at imagining being cops and robbers and, you know, or army people, whatever they do, cowboys, Indians, they, they're great at the painting. Girls do the same thing. They have their dolls, they sit for hours brushing dolls' hair and act like a, pretend to be a mommy. So they're, they're imagining what they're going to become. Um, and that's great when you are young to have that kind of freedom just to play around like that. But after you get older, um, God wants us to imagine what we can do for Him, to be able to great for Him. So use that imagination in the right way. And how do we know this? Well, in Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created man in His own image, in the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. It's important to God that we learn to use our imaginations to feel great for Him because we are His image bearers on earth. We represent God Himself. Now, He sent us His Son, Jesus, to show us the perfect example of who, what, why, and how to become great for the Father. So if we have the perfect example, we don't have an excuse to say, well, we don't have a Father to look, look at. We have Jesus. And we can look at His life, His example, and that's a walking example of integrity. So today we're going to look at two different worlds. One, where people use their imaginations to become great for God. And then you have the other side, where people use their imaginations to become not so great. So we have two sides to fall on. But integrity, why is this so important? to us as men, especially men. Well, see, if we remove integrity from who we are, and we see plenty of examples of men that don't have integrity. If we remove integrity from who we are, especially as image bearers of Christ and God himself, all we're left with is just an empty shell of despair and hopelessness. There's nothing really left without integrity. It's really the goal of our Christian life is to walk in integrity. You move that from us, we're nothing. 
we don't have anything. So this weekend, as we go through these lessons, I want you to start to move beyond imagining becoming great for God and start to walk in becoming great for God. Because there's got to come a time and a place where we stop thinking about what can I do to become great for God and actually start doing those things to become great. Um, what do we have to do to stop that, first of all, to make this happen? Well, we have to stop focusing on ourselves, on our shortcomings, our failures, our lack, our, we can make each of our own list of things that we have excuses for why we don't do great things for God. I was dealing with um, a young man this past year uh, through phone calls, one-on-one -on -one, uh, talks, and uh, Facebook, stuff like that, and a lot of the same stuff, always focusing on himself, the shortcomings, his failures, his sin, and that's all he was focusing on. And one day, I wrote him a little note in his Facebook, and um, God had to give this to me because there was nothing that I could do myself. I wrote this to him and said, be the vision of what God sees in you, not what you see in yourself. You see, that, that, to me that's a powerful statement because we have to move on what we see in the mirror. Because we look at that mirror and we just see, man, I, I failed this, I have a lot of good husband, I get angry with the kids, you know, I struggle with this, and we, we start to beat ourselves up and we forget who we are. We forget that we are God's image bearer, He wants to be great for Him. So we have to move beyond just the vision we see of ourselves, and we see what God sees in us. And that's when we start walking in truth. Now, um, every military man that goes and signs up the military enlists in boot camp. That's where he starts his basic training. That's where he learns to live. That's where he learns to survive a war. And without the basics of a boot camp, you throw him out in the middle of a war, he's dead, he's finished. They learn how to clean their guns, put the guns together, blindfolded. They learn how to, you know, discipline. They know how to eat. They know how to brush teeth. They even learn how to go to the bathroom fast. They can't sit there and read a magazine. Everything is like, you know, they're disciplined. They learn to become disciplined. And so this is kind of like a spiritual boot camp this weekend. We have to learn to become spiritual disciplined men. And the basics are always the same for military people. And they always go back to the basics. The same for our spiritual life. Our basics are simple. It's reading God's Word having our daily devotions, and doing the things that God tells us to do, being obedient. Those are the basics. And even in uh, uh, sports, you hear uh, our man LeBron, high five there. <laughs> our man LeBron last year in the middle, of the, they lost the first two games, was it? Yeah. They lost the first two games of the championship. No, one, first, first one. Whatever it was, they were, they were in trouble. And Jared was happy, and you know, Michael was not. And uh, they interviewed LeBron after the series was over. They came back four games straight, swept down. Uh, who did they beat? I don't know. They beat. Oh, no. Yeah, they beat him. And they interviewed him. They said, "What was the difference between this when you were losing and you swept them four games straight and won this uh, championship?" And he said this in his interview. He said, "We as a team got together and we decided to go back to the basics of what made us a great team, and that's what we did." And so, even though the championship series. These professional athletes who are great at what they do had to realize they had to go back to what the basics were to make them great again. And that's what they did. So the basics will carry us through our personal life. They'll carry us into battle with Satan. They'll carry us into our marriage. They'll carry us through our parenting. If we are disciplined enough to make sure we're putting the basics and getting them down the path. So 
God wants you to become great. He wants you to become greater than you ever could imagine yourself to be. There's a battle out there. It's a real battle. And it goes on daily. It's now between righteousness and unrighteousness, purity and perversion, perversion, light and darkness. And God wants us to take this battle seriously. We can't pretend like it's not happening. We can't pretend like our families aren't under attack. We can't pretend like our church is not being attacked. We can't pretend like our wives and our marriage are not being attacked. It's a battle. So we either have to stand up and become the men we have to be or we're going to lose everything. And so, in the movie Lord of the Rings, how many of you have seen that whole series? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a long, long movie, so you know, get comfortable before you start watching them. And there's one scene, uh, Gandalf and uh, Aragorn and the guys, the elves, all these people, they're there in the castle. They're with Theoden, the king. They're trying to convince him to rally his troops and go out and meet the evil force that's coming towards him. And so he doesn't want to do this. He says, I know what it is you want from me. He says, but I will not risk more death upon my people. I will not go into open war. And then Aragorn comes with one of the greatest lines in the movie. He says, open war is upon you whether you risk it or not. You see, whether we want to believe it or not, or accept it or not, or whatever it is, we are at war for our integrity, for our marriages, for our wives, for our children, for our future marriages, for our, our, everything that's around us. We are at war with that. And so we have to take it seriously. In the following um, passage I'm reading to you, uh, God uses very graphic language. He uses very visual language here because He wants you to imagine the scene He is describing. He wants, and I want you to listen carefully as I read this passage because this is describing the war that's going to take place and the very prize of that war is you. The very prize of this war is your families, your wives, your children, your, your the people you love. So I'm going to read this on Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 19. So you just want to just turn your imaginations on and get ready to listen and uh, picture this scene. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and, by, and the name by which he is called as the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called the birds that fly directly overhead. Come, gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and the riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both great and small. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and the armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting in the horse and against his army. That's a pretty vivid scene. When you look at that, and God describes it with great, great accuracy, so you can actually picture these two armies. You know, you the horrors of hell, the glories of heaven that are about to unleash upon each other in this mighty battle. So we were born into a world of war. 
whether we like it or not. Remember the story of Elisha, I think it's Elisha, where his servant is scared to death because he sees the, the army around him and it's only a few men there. What did he do? That God says, you know, open his eyes so he can see. And he sees the battle that's already won, the angels there. So there's a battle going around us whether you are here at camp, whether you're in the mall, whether you're at home with your families, at work, on the internet, whatever you're doing, there's a battle always going on around us. So open war is on you, whether you risk it or not. All right, turn your imaginations back on again. Revelation 12, 7 to 9. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. The battle in heaven must have been something to behold back then. Because literally you have a third of heaven following Satan against Michael and his angels. And uh, you know we know the result of that battle. He was thrown down to, to earth. I don't think Satan back then was very happy. I don't think he was glad that he got thrown out of heaven because he had a plan. He had a plan to become God. He had a plan to rule. He had a plan to you know, be the one. So he was thrown out of heaven. I don't think he's very happy today, still. So if he wasn't happy then, and he isn't happy now, what do you think his plan would be? He can't get back at God directly. But what he can do is go after God's image bearers, the people that represent God himself. So he is going to take out all his wrath, all his anger, all his schemes on us and to work his uh, ways against evil against us. So he doesn't want you to be happy. He doesn't want you to be joyful. He doesn't want you to be prosperous. He doesn't want you to you know, find joy with him with God. He wants to destroy all of that. Uh, John 10.10. 10. Um, we share this verse with the campers every year because we think it's that important. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So whether we are, you know, 20 or 80, it doesn't matter. Satan's plan is always the same. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And uh, we did a skit this summer where uh, Michael represented the father, and he had this Bahamian family there, and uh, they were playing you know, dominoes or whatever in the house, and some friends visited. And so these robbers, they start trying to break in the house. And uh, rather than letting them break in the house, Michael and them say, Dad, just come on in. The front door is open. Come on in. If you want something, take what you want. TV's there. Syria's there. Take this, take that. Here, you need some cash here. Give them all the things in the house. At the very end, he goes, here, take our daughter too. She, we don't, she costs too much. We can't afford it anymore. And then, all, you know, of course, all the cameras think this is funny because they're watching it and it's a pretty funny skit. And in the end, the robbers leave all the stuff and, you know, they get back to the dominoes game. In reality, you know, we look at it and laugh because it, it is funny. But spiritually, you know, you look at the things like that skit and you say, why wouldn't someone fight for the things that are important? Why just give them over to somebody who wants to steal them from you and take what belongs to you that God gave you? But spiritually, we do the same thing. God gave us certain things as men. He gave us our integrity. He gave us, you know, our, our family, our circle of influence. Our wives, or future wives, whatever, he gave us these things to protect and to stand up integrity. So we willingly had the motor Satan. And the spiritual consequences are huge compared to just that little skit. So while the skit was funny, 
there's a serious consequence to it when we uh, easily in our daily lives hand over to Satan the things that God meant for us to protect and to hold dear. And so there's a real, real uh, consequence of that. Romans 12, uh, Romans 12, 17. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Back to the thing. In other words, open war has come to us. We're in it. Integrity is at stake. Satan's mad, he's angry, he wants to destroy us. There's nothing he wants better than to take the things that God has given us to be over and rip them away from us. I was telling uh, Jared this morning, I had a friend who actually hired me as youth pastor in my first church in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, been in ministry almost 30 years, and just this last year lost it all because of an uh, appropriate relationship. And just one little moment, Satan come in and take him, if we're not standing guard. And that's why I said last night, integrity's got to be your, your watchman. He's got to stand at your walls and your ears, your eyes and your mouth, so that nothing comes in or goes out without the filter of your integrity. So the bell's ringing loud and clear right now, and it's saying, you know, what are you going to do about this word integrity? What are you going to do with it? Are you going to just continue down the path you're going to? You have some choices to make here. And as we very close this session right now, I want you to remember that integrity is at stake. But you have four choices here. One, you can either stubbornly continue to ignore all the signs around you. You know, we all have signs we see. And um, when you're a father and a husband, and you have this family you're responsible for, and you can see certain things happen in your family, you know that Satan is attacking your family. When you see certain things in your children's behavior, or their attitudes, or you see them displaying certain things, you know that Satan is attacking them. And so as a father, you have to stand in the gap for them, pray over them, and take charge of that situation. You just can't sit back and say, oh, I'm just gonna go, that'll work itself out. The entire time will go away. Um, it doesn't happen. You know, right now, uh, Alexa's 12 years old, and uh, she's beginning to understand the concept of her grandparents are getting up there in years, and that one day they're not going to be here anymore. So she's having trouble dealing with that emotion about having her grandparents. Um, she's a little struggling with the, the emotion now, realizing that, you know, I'm a lot older than her, and that I'm not going to be around forever. So she's struggling with that fear <coughs> of what what's going to happen. She doesn't want to grow up. She doesn't want to, she wants to remain a child because she doesn't want to see all these people she loves as she gets older pass away. Well, this is an attack from Satan, putting something in her heart that shouldn't be there. So I, as a father, have to come at that, attack that with everything I have. Otherwise, he's going to start destroying my daughter's or life apart. Even if you're married, you know, your wife, your wife is always under attack from Satan. And uh, as men, we have the right to stand up for our families and be the one to take the brunt and stand up for them and then face it. So we can't just stubbornly ignore the signs that are happening to us as men. Um, number two, we can helplessly cower in shame and fear, which is another tool of Satan to get you to feel shame for the sins you have in your life and to you know have a fear of God that is unrighteous fear. You know, the, we have the Bible talks about you know the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You hear that word all the time, that phrase, you know, fear the Lord. Well, what is the fear of the Lord? Well, the fear of the Lord, the Bible tells us, is to hate what is evil. 
you learn what the fear of the Lord is when you learn to hate what He hates, you learn to love what He loves. And when, it, when the Bible says He hates sin, God hates sin. And I don't think there's a word that you use for stronger than hate. He hates it. So we have to learn to, as men, not let Satan trick us into becoming living in shame and fear, but we have to learn to have the right, proper fear of the Lord. Hate what God hates and love what He loves. Number three, by your unwillingness to do anything, you remain a captive of the enemy. If you refuse to do nothing, you'll go through life and all you'll be is a captive of the enemy on the battlefield. You'll pass people by that are engaged in the battle and you'll just be one of those guys who's walking through just doing nothing. And uh, I told you about my cousin that died uh, two weeks ago. And uh, the sad part about his life was, you know, you look at his life and it's like he never existed. There's no legacy. There's no, there's nothing to look at and say this is what he accomplished with his life. And it's sad because he was a, he was a likable guy. He was a fun guy growing up. And he just, you know, allowed the enemy to captivate him and make his life of no use. And uh, there's, there's no legacy at all. It's like he never existed. And it's sad to know that. And uh, that's just a trap of Satan. The fourth option we have, I think it's the only option we have, is men. You can boldly draw a line in the sand today, and you start to build your integrity today. Don't worry about yesterday, or last week, or how you fell, or how you failed, or what you did. Like I said, God's mercies are due today. So today, you start brand new. You start to walk in the right direction with integrity as your cornerstone of your faith. Because remember, without integrity, we don't have nothing. And you can't almost have integrity. You either have it or you don't. So, you know, as I close, I just want to go over the whole thing of the image bearers again. This is why it's so important for us as men. Because when we look at Christ's life, he was the perfect image bearer of God himself. You look at Christ's life, it was perfect. You can look at that, every situation, see how he handled it, you can apply it to your own life. So we don't have an excuse as men to say, well, I don't know what to do in the situation. Look to Jesus. If you don't know what to do, always go to Jesus. And uh, as we are raising image bearers ourselves, or becoming image bearers, it becomes important to understand what integrity is and the consequences of not having integrity in our life. And uh, even in our, even in your church, Calvary Bible, um, if you guys as men or leaders of the church don't have integrity, what's going to happen to the rest of the church? It's just going to shred apart and go to nothing. So it rises and falls on you guys. You know, you guys are the leaders of the church. The men are the leaders of the family. The men are the leaders of the community. The men are the leaders. But if we don't lead well, we don't lead with integrity, everything will be just torn away from us. So I just want to encourage you with that this morning. Uh, I'm going to close in prayer. And uh, I encourage you as well, during your free times, keep going to the Bible, the Word, and finding those verses on integrity. Find one that means them to you. We'll share it next time. Or if you break off in groups or whatever, pray for each other, share with them what you found in God's Word. And I'll just encourage one another today as we learn to walk in integrity. All right? Let's pray. Father, as we come again uh, before you, we thank you that we had this opportunity as uh, men, as image bearers that you created us to be. Uh, to learn what integrity is, what it looks like. Uh, we thank you that you've given us your words so we look to your son Jesus as a perfect example as to what we should look like as men. Father, I pray for everyone in this room with their struggles, with their fears, with their sins that they have. I just pray that you'll give them the courage right now as men to draw that line in the sand 
and just to say from this day forward, we walk in integrity. Whatever the consequence, whatever the cost, we walk in integrity. And then nothing will come in through our eyes, through our ears, or out through our mouth, unless it goes to the filter of our integrity first. And I thank you for this weekend that we can just take a break from our busy lives, uh, protect our families and away from us while we're here, keep them safe and guarded, and uh, just help us uh, take this time to focus on our relationship with you, our relationship with each other, and uh, what integrity means, what it looks like in our daily lives. And just help us walk in your truth. And we thank you for Jared being able to be here this weekend and lead us into worship. And, uh, and just like the song says, once and for all, you did it all for us. Father, we just thank you that you provided for us a perfect example of what a man looks like. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.